name is Jackie Lamport. Today is Tuesday, March 16th. Welcome to the Capital Daily Podcast. Today on the show. I feel like I'm coming back to university again for the first time and learning how to be an adult again. It's probably a lot harder on me than it is on the kids. They're really resilient, especially because they're so young. They're really malleable at that age. Working full time, seven days a week. Yeah, just nonstop. There's always something. We look back on the year in COVID, but instead of focusing on the numbers and epidemiology, we speak to real Victorians and ask them to share their real life stories. Today's podcast is brought to you by Community Plus. Today, we welcome Kat, a mother of four young kids, Lily, a fourth-year political science major at UVic, and Rob, the owner of a flower and garden center. The three of them have different priorities and day-to-day goals in their lives. But the thing that brings them together is the same thing that brought us all together this past year, the pandemic. It has shifted our schedules, changed our activities, and has us all waiting patiently for the other side. On this episode of the Capital Daily Podcast, the people we hear from are real people living in Victoria, and these are their stories of resiliency, adaptation, and hope over the last year of uncertainty. We start by speaking with Lily Jones. She is currently living in Victoria as she completes her final year in her political science undergrad at the University of Victoria. She shares what it's like to be a student in a virtual world. Lily, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. No worries. So you have completed three years of school before the pandemic. How has your how has your previous year been? Yeah, my previous three years have been drastically different to the, the last year. I think the biggest change has been, I mean, one, the social aspect of like going into classes and sitting with people that you know and being able to have conversations about the subject matter that you're learning with. But then also just like the learning framework as a whole, it's so hard to build connections with teachers, which is particularly difficult when you're someone who like maybe struggles with going to office hours or like even if I'm in my fourth year and I'm supposed to be asking professors for letters of recommendation and I'm either going to be asking teachers who haven't seen me for two years or teachers who have seen me on a screen. And Mm -hmm. that kind of bridges a whole other set of issues outside of the classroom for students moving on to postgraduate degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't get to build those relationships, which are actually, you know, crucial in your career building. 100%, yeah. Yeah. What's it been like? uh, So I'm assuming you're still living in the area of the town, of the Ubik. What's that like? It was actually super bizarre because I spent most in March, I moved home to Seattle because I'm not a Canadian citizen and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be stuck in Canada where I don't have health insurance that's not attached to my undergraduate degree. I don't have a solidified job and my lease was coming up. So I actually moved back to Seattle, which was obviously like a huge epicenter of the pandemic during the Mm -hmm. summer. And then I moved back around December because I got a co-op placement. And it was just such a strange shift because the restrictions in Seattle were just so much more severe. Like I hadn't left my house for months. And then Mm -hmm. I remember driving in from the ferry and people were sitting in Tim Hortons and there was people on the side street and there was traffic for the first time I had seen in eight months. And it was just so 
bizarre. It was like a bit of culture shock. When I first went grocery shopping again, I left after 15 minutes because I found it quite <laughs> overwhelming. And so it's yeah. been super strange to go from Seattle, where we had super, super high cases, to Victoria that has been lucky enough to keep their numbers quite low. So it's been a very strange shift while still forcing myself to remember that even if I don't necessarily see the severity that I saw in Seattle, there is still a pandemic going on and it doesn't mean I can go run around with all of my friends just quite yet. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's like a little bit uh, harder to get used to because you almost forget that there's a pandemic a little bit here. Yeah, because I was in Toronto for a large portion of the first of it and it's completely different. Completely different. It's like it doesn't exist here. Yeah. What's it? So, but you're still not in class and you're, but you're in housing. Uh, What's it like with other students and how's that like social interaction? And it's like, I mean, it's such a social time. Yeah, it's limited. Um, I, it's... I think it's interesting because I think prior to the pandemic, I had my group of friends, but I would say a large portion of my social interaction came from people who I wouldn't really classify as friends. Like they're not people that I would hang out with outside of class, but they were a huge part of my social life because I'd Mm -hmm. see them, you know, three, four times a week. We'd sit next to each other in class. We'd talk about things that mattered. And that was a huge part of my social life that has just been taken away so now I'm left with my normal group of friends who I love but don't necessarily share the same academic interests as I do so it's been a really big shift in my social life from going from seeing people and concentrating on issues that I'm interested in alongside people and then now I see friends and it's it's just a different atmosphere and it's a, it's a different group than mm-hmm. I would normally um see myself in and then it's the whole other issue of mean restrictions have been lifted recently but I live by myself and for someone who lives by themselves they're allowed they were allowed two people outside of their household so if I want to see one of my friends like none of my friends live by themselves so then seeing Mm. one friend means that I already see two people because I have to include that housemate so it's like a really bizarre period of kind of trying to have to pick and choose who I want to see (laughs) it was very bizarre yeah. what's what's it like because uh, you said you were in a, you have a co-op as well is that all virtual yeah I actually work for Royal Jubilee Hospital oh, okay and but I work in the like equity office of things and so I've been at home pretty much this whole time we pop into the office like if we absolutely have to but I would say I've been in like a handful of times and I started in December mm-hmm. wow so so you're working and going to school all virtually and living alone. That's got to be an interesting experience. Yeah, uh, in hindsight, maybe not the best decision. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's been very bizarre, especially because I had to quarantine for two weeks um, yeah. coming back into the country. And I have this like tiny little apartment where I basically just live in one room mm-hmm. and work and sleep and live and do schoolwork all in the same space. And... Then I was also coming from the Seattle framework where we weren't even allowed to like go to coffee shops or libraries or anything. So mm-hmm. it took me a while to be like, oh, I can go and sit somewhere and do homework. Like that's allowed now. So yeah, yeah it's been a very weird... I feel like I, I'm coming back to university again for the first time and learning how to be an adult again <laughs> and have this like work-life balance that previously I did have, but it's been all just thrown out of whack. Mm-hmm. This is a bit of a bummer question, but does it feel like you kind of lost uh, like a really vital year in your life? Yeah, 
Yeah, it does. Um, especially because I'm like graduating and everything and I'm not gonna mm-hmm. have a graduation ceremony. Like yeah. that was something that I didn't go to my high school graduation. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. the most participatory student in high school. But now that's something that would be quite important to me and important to my parents. Yeah. Um, like I'm a first generation college student, so that would have been like a very important thing yeah. for both of my parents to enjoy. And then just like I I'm in the honors program and I've been able to develop like really great mentorships with my teachers and not being able to see them has kind of stunted that, not stunted mm-hmm. that relationship, but I still have great relationships with them, but it's just, it's just a different mechanism. And I feel so bad for, I'm also um, in the mentorship program where yeah. I mentor uh, like a first year political science student. And I feel so bad for her because she'll talk to me about her first year of university and it's just so vastly different from my first year of university and yeah. so I feel lucky in that sense of like I got to have something even if I'm ending on a bit of a bummer note but yeah it's, just, it's difficult for everyone and I think the first years really drew the short end of the stick on it yeah unfortunately yeah yeah I mean that's it is a great year I remember going to different events and you th- you start it's just a different feeling right it feels like a new part of your life what are you thinking about? I mean, going forward, you're looking at your next steps. And I think you mentioned that you're going to go to another program. Yeah, I got accepted into the um, human rights law program at Edinburgh Un- University of Edinburgh. Oh, wow. So I'm kind of toying with the idea of either deferring for a year or going in September. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's kind of like, do I want to go through the stress of finding a postgraduate job <laughs> or do yeah. I just want to push that off for another year? <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of. It's I guess it's difficult to navigate, especially right now where jobs they don't seem as uh, you know as accessible as they were before. It, it is a point of anxiety <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yes. Is it is that something that most of the students in your in your in your uh, year are talking about and worried about? Yeah, for sure. I think it's an ongoing joke that political science undergrads are unemployable, like just to begin with. And then you throw in a pandemic and it's like, oh, well, okay, this is a nice way to spice things up. Um, Yeah, no, it's definitely like all of my friends, like when I was like talking to them about like deferring or just going in, all of them have told me just to go in basically because I'm either going to not find anything or find something that isn't necessarily what I want to do, which is very standard for political science um, students <laughs> post-grad, but even more so because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do. I wish you good luck. And uh, I mean, you, you seem to be still feeling chipper about it. So uh, again, that's, that's, that's great to hear that you're at least, you know, looking forward to things. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me, though. No, no worries. It's good. Next, we hear from Kat, a mother of four young children, the fourth of whom she gave birth to during the pandemic. We spoke about her experience with a pandemic pregnancy, how the closure of local amenities has impacted how she takes care of her children, and the difficulties of finding adult time as a parent during shutdowns. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So tell me about what your life was like before the pandemic. Ah, yes, the before times. So this time last year, just before lockdown, I was about... 12-ish weeks pregnant with my fourth child. Wow. So at that point, I had my oldest was in kindergarten, and um, it was just the beginning of spring break. And uh, I have my two middle kids who at the time were eight, just, yeah, 18 months, five, three and a half, and one and a half. 
and I was pregnant. Um, and our daily life was pretty busy. As you can imagine, we did a lot of kinder gyms. I live in the West shore, so everything is kind of tailored towards my needs and tastes. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's lots of wonderful community events. So we did every day we were at a kinder gym or the YMCA were enthusiastic members there and they would go to play care and I could do my spin class or uh, bar class I was doing. So out and about a lot. I was a stay-at-home mom who did not stay home super frequently. My kids are like border collies. I got to run them or they're into (laughs) my furniture. So (laughs) getting out is huge. How did things change then for you once once everything kind of started closing down? Very dramatically. Um, (laughs) So I... We started spring break and it basically just didn't end. We're still in it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're sort of still in that spring break. Um, And so we had actually planned to go away. My parents live in Delta. So our plan was to go spend a week in Vancouver and go do Science World. Uh, Not the zoo because that zoo is very sad. Um, But (laughs) the aquarium, go to petting zoos and um, all that. So we abruptly had to cancel our trip. Um, and that was when it really felt real for me when we decided not to go stay at my parents. Um, and yeah, all of our, our stuff, uh, closed down. We couldn't go to tumble bums. All the kinder gyms were closed down. Um, the Y adjusted where there wasn't childcare. And once the child mining minding is closed, it sort of eliminates that as an option for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my kids are great. A lot of things. Spin class is not one of them. (laughs) Um, and it was really, it was really hard because there's things that can stay open for adults or teenagers. That's just not feasible with small children because social distancing is not something that they're capable of, uh, Kids don't really get impulse control at all until they're four. And then when they get it, they just get bad impulse control. So (laughs) there was uh, eight weeks at the beginning where we didn't see anyone. We didn't even see my my husband's parents who are very involved in our our child care. Uh, Fortunately, my husband was uh, his work. He works for the Department of National Defense as a civilian. So his work actually shut down. So he was home which made it easier for me to go to my medical appointments. Like I said, I was, uh, I guess, about three months pregnant when uh, everything shut down. But he couldn't come to our anatomy scan for the ultrasound. It was, having had, uh, it it was our fourth pregnancy, it was less... less disappointing and less hard than I think it would have been if it had been our first, but it was still Mm -hmm. really weird to not have him there. Yeah, you went through three kids where he was there every step of the way, and then suddenly you're in these appointments all alone. Yeah, and I think one thing I will say is that the ultrasound techs that I've seen were amazing. Like, they went above and beyond to -hmm. make me feel comfortable and to be enthusiastic with me. And um, I do think that they were almost sort of trying to compensate and, like, take that extra level of almost customer service into their job because being alone in something like that especially like the early scans where you're just like praying to see a heartbeat and you want everything to be okay you have someone who's really going out of their way to make you feel uh excited and comfortable was really nice so Mm -hmm. I did feel lucky there that I had people who were clearly understanding the importance of their presence so but it was very weird (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah what was it like giving birth in, in a hospital right now um it was 
So uh, our daughter, Emily, was born July 29th, 2020. So mm-hmm. she's right in the middle of it all. And yeah. it was it was intense. It was weird because even our midwives were wearing masks. My husband and I didn't, or he, I can't remember if he wore a mask or or not. I was pretty distracted, but I didn't have to wear a mask, which was a real blessing because, um, I know I don't mind wearing masks. I forget I'm wearing mine a lot. Um, but laboring in a mask sounds like uh, hell on earth. (laughs) I feel like when I'm laboring, all I could do is labor. I don't want to add anything else to that list, but yeah, it was, everything had an extra step to it. So Mm -hmm. everything required extra sanitizing, extra this. uh, It was harder to get things, you know, there was an extra step in between getting um, water and things like that. They didn't have uh, the straws and it was just, it was interesting. And, and things like re like we couldn't reuse cups because they don't Mm -hmm. want you taking a cup you just drank out of and refilling it. It's like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So it, that was that was weird, and I I did sort of get used to the masks, I think. But um, yeah, it was just a little extra stressful. It was nice that VGH isn't where any of the COVID cases would be, but it still mm-hmm. had that edge of like I would like to get out of here as soon as I can. How's it been for the older kids? Um, I would say my, my second oldest, James, he's now four and a half and I would say he notices it the most. He yeah. has, um, commented that he wishes we could have play dates. He talks mm-hmm. about, um, after COVID, he talks about his birthday party this year. It's in August. So he's jumping the gun a little bit, but mm. I think <laughs> we all year, are. Yeah. Last year we had to have it outdoors, which I mean, it's August, so it was fine. Yeah, And we could only have uh, his cousins and his siblings, which, I mean, he has a lot of siblings, so that's kind of nice. Yeah. But um, he d- he talks about who's going to come to his birthday party this year, and um, he misses playdates. He stopped liking soccer when it went back to the kids couldn't interact with each other. They had to stay in their little square. Mm. So I think he's the most impacted. Um, fortunately, he does have his siblings to play with, so he's... Yeah. You know, when he's alone, he's kind of happy to be alone. (laughs) Um, My oldest, who is in grade one now at Happy Valley Elementary, he is really fine with it. They haven't expressed, none of them express any fear. I mean, my two and a half year old, she's, (laughs) she's not really super, super aware of it. But Mm -hmm. the two boys definitely, they don't talk about being scared of catching the virus or us catching the virus. And we've really tried to frame it as it's our responsibility to make sure that we do what we can to make our community safe. Yeah. So he has no issues wearing his mask at, uh, to go into a store or anything. Uh, he has no issues with the protocols at school. Um, we've had to tell him to chill on the hand washing a little bit sometimes when we're <laughs> home. We're like, no, no, it's fine. Like, it's just us. <laughs> it's probably a lot harder on me than it is on the kids. They're really resilient, especially because they're so young. They're really malleable at that age, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, it's, it's almost feels like it's always been that way for them at that age. Yeah, and yeah, Bridget, who is uh, two and a half, she doesn't really have memories before she was Mm -hmm. only 18 months when everything kind of locked down. So it is weird to think that for her, this is her default. She doesn't remember going to Kinder gyms all the time where the boys can remember that. And uh, I mean, Emmy has no clue. Emmy, (laughs) most of the adults she sees wear masks. Um, Mm. So I don't know. 
I assume it'll make her really good at reading eye expressions. She'll be like that guy from Lie to Me where she's like able to, she's a human <laughs> lie detector because she can read yeah. micro expressions. So it's like uh, her, you know, hopefully superhero origin story. Yeah. We're going to have a whole uh, a whole generation of yeah, babies. Who can like, read. Well, nobody will be able to lie for yeah. the entire generation. They'll all just be like, well, your, your eyelid twitched just a millimeter. So actually, I know that what you're telling me is false. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that'll be great. Hopefully that'll be, that'll be great. Yeah, it'll bring some honesty to our population. Yeah, uh, you you just mentioned that it was harder on you. Uh, what's your life been like as an adult? It's very different. I mean, I uh, my dream job is staying at home with my kids. That's yeah. what I wanted yeah. to do. I wanted a like a small litter of children, and I wanted to stay home <laughs> full time. And that's um, fortunately, my husband was very much on board with that. It's something we planned out. Uh, so I was already in my dream job, but I, it's not the framework within which I plan to operate. I don't think anyone yeah. plan. Well, that's not true. People plan for the pandemic, but it was not me. It was epidemiologists. Yeah. Um, and I do think I have a really good situation. I have a husband who is at home almost full time with me, who is my best friend. We get along very well, which is, <laughs> you find out for sure if that's happening when you're in lockdown yeah, together with three definitely. small kids and your pregnant wife. We're like, oh, we can, we can probably last through anything now. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very difficult and I'm an extrovert. So I know that for sure now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And just have, you know, being that safe place to land for the kids when you can see them acting out and being like, well, this is developmentally appropriate, but by no other metric appropriate. And I just have to kind of suck it up and, and be the grown up. And I don't want to mm-hmm. be the grown up. I want to. Yeah. I want to cry and eat candy for several <laughs> days. So I think that it's been it's definitely been the hardest year of my parenting and my adult mm-hmm. life, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I will be glad when the pandemic is over. It's been a very difficult year and also a really joyous year because, uh, you know, I had my fourth baby and she's yeah. great. She seems rad. Just getting to know her still, but she seems really cool. And um, really good things happened for us. We were able to buy a new home that we're renovating. So I'm basically cosplaying HGTV, which has been really <laughs> fun. And my parents will be moving over, which is... I don't know if that would have come to fruition without the pandemic, because I think it drove home for them that uh, being close to us was more important than being close to a metropolitan area. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all kind of coming out of this, you know, reassessing some things and making major life changes. It's I think that's the one thing that we can all share is that, you know, there's, we're, we're all changing for the better, hopefully, and learning from this experience. Thank you so much for sharing so much about your life. I really appreciate this. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you for asking parents about pandemic parenting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think a lot of people can relate to it. So thank you. No problem. And before we get to the next interview, we will take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's Capital Daily podcast is brought to you by Community Plus. They provide skilled, reliable and friendly home health services across Greater Victoria, from caregiving to foot care to physiotherapy. They have 1 to 24-hour services available. It's your home, but it's their community of care. Find them at communityplusscare.ca. And if you want to help support Capital Daily's local journalism and connect your business with our engaged and curious Greater Victoria audience of almost 50,000, email our partnerships team at advertising at capitaldaily.ca. 
And finally, we check in with the owner of a garden center. Rob Harris owns Seabury Garden and Flower. We talk to him about how the pandemic has impacted his business. And in this case, it's a happy story as more Victorians turn to gardening and filling their homes with houseplants as they spend more time at home. Co-producer Emily Vance went down to Rob's store to talk to him in person. One year into the pandemic, how has your day-to-day changed? We're so much busier. We don't quite understand you know, why we're so much busier, other than maybe more gardeners, more people growing food, people not being able to travel, so they're you know, spending time in their yard, improving their outside spaces. And people are indoors in their home, new home offices, and they want to add a bit of greenery on the inside. So I guess that in a nutshell would explain why we're busier. We're just, we're just thankful that, you know, our customers are understanding, that they're patient because we can only hold so many people in each location and we can only have so many staff on. Um, so you know, we're doing our best. When did things start to change? When did you start to notice that it was getting busier and busier. Oh, right away in March. Pretty much in March, we started getting busier. And even this March, we're twice as busy as we were last March. We can't explain it, but it is what it is. And we're just trying to keep up with demand, which is difficult because so many of our suppliers are having the same issue, keeping up with demand. Because all the garden centers seem to be busy. You know, outdoor stuff is, is just flying off the shelf. And people are asking for things so much earlier. Seeds have been so popular. What about you personally? What's changed in your life over the past year? Uh, No holidays. (laughs) Working full time, seven days a week. Yeah, just nonstop. There's always something for me to do. Deliveries. um, You know, you try to take a part of a day off, but you get a phone call. There's a delivery. So that's been challenging. But you know what? I'm not complaining at all. I'm just happy to be working, happy to have staff on. We brought back staff early. We laid off people after Christmas. You know, we shut down for between Christmas and New Year's, and then we usually bring staff back, you know, kind of March. But this year we brought them, you know, January and end of Jan, kind of some more in February, and now um, there's still a couple left to come back, but. Yeah, well, we'll have them back before the end of March, especially if the weather improves and warmer temperatures come along. Sounds like there have been some silver linings for sure for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, I think the whole industry, it's been a silver lining for the whole uh, garden industry. There's a lot of growers who have come back from, you know, years of debt, me included, you know, accumulated debt for me, has been pretty much paid off um, from my previous garden center at Lukato. Yeah, just thankful for that. Last spring was just mayhem. We, we got through it, and we learned a lot. What was your day-to-day like before the pandemic? Manageable. It was manageable. Much less manageable now, but we're still hanging in there. What was the moment when you knew things were going to change from here on out 
it was not, we're not going back to normal anytime soon. When my partner was in China and eight flights were canceled. So it was a bit of a struggle for him to get out of China just as, you know, the airlines were starting to shut down. Yeah. Anyway, he got a phone call three or four days after he finally got out from Air Canada saying he could get on a plane in China. They were a little late, but anyway, that was, it was, uh, I knew things were not going to be normal when that was happening. And we maybe hit a bit of a panic button and we canceled some orders. And in hindsight, oh man, we shouldn't have done that because we needed that product. But we didn't know, like the government really, you know, provincial or federal, nobody was telling us anything that, you know, we needed to shut down, stay open. And then finally the BC government came and said that we were an essential service. So, you know, we just started putting up barriers, you know, washing our hands, um, sort of putting things in place for people to, you know, flow a little better, um, you know, walking wise and moving around the garden centers. But, um, yeah, that was, that was, uh, it was all, that was a quick learning curve. How did it feel back then when, when you're talking about that uncertainty as to open, close, order more, cancel orders? It seems like so long ago. It's hard to, it's hard to remember what we were going, like, you know, thinking, the thinking process, it's really difficult to, you know, remember that far back. What do you hope will change now? I think nothing other than vaccines in arms and um, businesses back up and running, um, some semblance of normal, normal life. What are you looking forward to? I think, you know, we hope that it, the busyness continues, that's for sure. I mean, it's been a blessing. So, for the most part, just back to normal, regular routines. And if we have to have barriers up and have customers stand six feet apart still for, for a while yet, that's okay. My attention's focused on, you know, this week, today, what's going on, you know, how can we improve the traffic flow at each location for because of COVID, you know, and putting in another cash register to make, you know, people come and go uh, quickly. It just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to plan for the long term right now. A holiday? <laughs> A holiday would be nice. Well, I hope that that is in our future and everybody's future. Yes. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks, Emily. While we all live different lives and have been impacted in dramatically different ways over the past year, we can all relate to having to adapt and keep hope for what comes next. And in today's Capital Daily News Review, today, the duo who runs social media accounts dedicated to stories of mistreatment at the Royal Jubilee's Psychiatric Emergency Services will meet the officials from the hospital. The Facebook page and Twitter accounts titled PES, A Pathetic Excuse for Support, has posted or shared over 40 stories from people who have gone to PES during mental health crises. The stories describe indifference and belittling from nurses and psychiatrists, excessive physical aggression and mockery by police and security in prolonged isolations. 
Many people are young and allege that their diagnosed conditions were dismissed by PES as immaturity or attention-seeking. Another frequent concern was people allegedly being released from care prematurely or without people to pick them up and make sure they were no longer a danger. Last week, the account's operators met with Premier John Horgan and the Minister for Mental Health and Addictions on the issue. If you want to keep up with what's going on in the Capital Regional District and the province, subscribe to our daily newsletter at capitaldaily.ca. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed, please leave a rating and a review and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode going forward. We post new shows every Monday to Friday. My name is Jackie Lamport. This is the Capital Daily Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>